welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And every other week, we discuss an episode of Stargate, beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Mary. Happy New Year, Kathy. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) We made it to 2021, theoretically. Holy crap. That might be a big assumption at this point. We're in the future. We are in the future. Remember way back in November with that really crazy election that was happening and we were both too upset to actually report record a podcast <laughs> the day we were supposed to and then we had to put it off several days? Those were yes, good times. <laughs> yes. But... <laughs> but things things worked out. <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. Just had to have some patience. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just feels like yesterday. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I guess yeah. we'll have an inauguration fairly soon. At yeah. This point, then. Oh. Uh, but enough about politics. We can talk yeah. about fake politics on other planets and also this planet. Yay. Yay. And that we will do today in this episode of season one of SG-1 called Thor's Hammer. Indeed. So we are starting off this episode in the conference room at the SGC. SG-1 and Hammond are gathered to listen to Daniel's latest theory about the gold and the Stargate. They go through this very quickly, it felt like. They do. I had to watch it like three or four times to get as many notes as I wanted to have on it. Yeah. And I'm not sure I wrote them down in the correct order, but I think I wrote down the essentials of what happens in this scene. (laughs) (laughs) I also was having, at least in this scene and the next scene, I had trouble understanding a few things that Daniel was saying, like just a random word that I just could not catch. And I would listen to it like five times just that, to try to get it. Yeah, that that's, I think, I'm trying to remember if that happened to me in this episode, but I've definitely been there. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't pick up the word myth the first time you said it. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe that's... <laughs> The, uh, the Sagan Institute in the next scene was the word I could, the, the phrase I couldn't get, but that's getting ah. ahead of things. <laughs> when, sorry, now I'm thinking about uh, um, the Muppets and Kermit the Frog saying myth and then <laughs> and then it's always being Miss who shows up and he's like, no, myth. You're not going to move my girl. No, sir. He did too. He touched me. Ugh, go wash. You'll get what? No, you see, that's just a myth. Yeah, but she's my myth. No, no, myth, myth. No. Sorry. I don't think I know that one. Uh, I think it's from the Muppet movie where they keep talking about things about frogs. And he's like, no, that's a myth. And then like a woman will just appear and be like, yes. And he's like, I have to go back and watch it. I know. It's a good one. (laughs) What were you saying? Um, That was it about Kermit. I interrupted only to say that I love that movie. That's great. I love Kermit. Yeah. So it's a... (laughs) So many gags in those movies. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Running gags. It makes me happy. They're very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> it has a lot to do with Stargate. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, we're going to encounter a lot of talking frogs, I think. So. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I just know it. Any day now. Mm-hmm. So they're in the conference room talking pretty quickly, rapidly about these things that Daniel is kind of theorized or, you know, extrapolated from what they know about the gold so he basically says that the uh the the different myths of ancient earth indicate that there might have been other visitors to earth besides the gold and he sort of breaks it down into there being like 
classified as either tyrant gods, which would be the gold. That's the word in this scene that took me forever. I don't know why I couldn't understand him saying tyrant. Ah. I listened to that one like five times. I was like, what the hell is he saying? Oh, Daniel. I thought he was up. talking about a, like an actual race of people. And I was like, what race of people are the tyras? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Be more clear, Daniel. Seriously. Annunciation is the mark of a good actor. And when you enunciate, you spit. And the other group of gods are the culture bearers, mm-hmm. which he just says are basically, they'd be like, good gods. Good god lemon. Yeah. And those that would you know, work to benefit humans rather than enslave and dominate them. And they specific they zero in specifically on the myths of the ancient Norse god Thor, because they they were you know looking to better humans basically, and be their protectors against the Etons. 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 Yeah. Oh, he thinks it might be another alien race because he also drops into this that their working theory is that the ghoul did not build the Stargates but are merely using them in their parasitic nature. And therefore, there might be other beings out there who, one, built the Stargates, and two, also used them. He sort of has a little, like, slideshow, I guess, of, like, images of (laughs) Thor and of his hammer. None of them were Chris Hemsworth, and I was disappointed. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, yeah, sadly, pre-Hemsworth days. Yeah, but the, the one of the images of the hammer in Thor's lightning catches Tilk's eye, and Tilk recognizes it as the uh, relating to a planet that the Gould have forbidden any of them from ever going to, for spe- secret reasons that they do not share with the Jaffa. <laughs> Super secret, and this they're is even, very convenient plot yeah. device, by the way. Yes. <laughs> They even teach the Jaffa the coordinates not yeah. to go to. <laughs> Just to not go there, yeah. <laughs> That's great logic, yeah. <laughs> and the name of the world. We get all of this information right up front. So this is Sumeria. Yeah, which really threw me off because Sumeria is associated with the Middle East. So it was like a, a language. Yeah. Meso- I, Mesopotamia, right? Sumerian? Yeah. So. I, I think the the spelling is different when I looked oh, it up. Okay. So it sounds like Samaria, but it's Sim area, C I M M E R I A. So it's not okay. supposed to be the same. That makes thing. more more sense. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Given that this is all Norse mythology that they're talking about, okay, that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. So they decide they need to go there. Yeah. If they think it's bad, then we'll probably think it's great. Yes. <laughs> that is how things work. Yeah. In the gate room, a little bit later, the Malp is sitting there on the ramp, and the team is gearing up. And Hammond comes in and gives them a weird kind of carved box that is meant to be a gift for the Sumerians. Apparently, Daniel had requested this a while back from the Sagan Institute. We're made of star stuff. Which is what (laughs) it took me like five (laughs) listens through to figure out who he had asked for this box from. He told them that it was like a thought experiment of what would you hypothetically want to tell another intelligent race so this gave me a very big question in my mind of why was the stargate symbol for earth carved prominently on the front of it if it was made by the sagan institute based on what they thought 
should represent Earth on other planets, but they don't know about the Stargate program. How would they know about that symbol and to put it on the maybe, box? Maybe they were given like certain specs that they had to follow, including including this random symbol that we don't know what it is. <laughs> we can't tell you why, but it has to have this triangle, this upside down <laughs> triangle thing with a circle on top. Yes. Just, just make sure that's on there. Trust us. Yes. You'll want it on there. Yes. I, I looked at, I also looked up the Sagan Institute because I was like, is that a mm-hmm. real thing? Oh, it is. Yeah. There is. But at least what I was reading, the one that I found uh, through that's at Cornell mm-hmm. is relatively new. It was predates this episode or I mean, postdates this episode. Oh, really? I didn't know that. At least that's what, there might be another one out there. I didn't look too hard. It looks like there's a Carl Sagan something at SETI. And I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if maybe that was what this was referring to or if they just were like, Sagan Institute, that sounds sciencey, spacey. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, now I'm now I'm curious. Now I'm going to search for it myself because I want to know. Yeah, yeah. I, I could. I knew it was a place, but I didn't have any idea when it was founded, though. I could do more research, but I didn't because you have to. I was very preoccupied this week. I can't imagine why. <laughs> the election was so long ago at this point, so it can't have had anything to no, do. With I, that. I'm just basking in my lonely christmas glow because i am go- i got to sit alone in my apartment on christmas because we're also in the middle of a pandemic still <laughs> yep that we are um yeah the the carl sagan institute is all it's listed as it was founded in 2014 according to one random page and a 2015 according to this other random page interesting hmm. weird Maybe there's a dead one. What's the SETI version? Is that different? Or is I, that, yeah, I'm it's looking a, at that. It was a... Let me see if I have it on my phone still. That's where I was looking idly um, earlier. It doesn't say when it was founded. The one that it links to the SETI Oh, okay. Institute. I, I did at least know that SETI existed at this time. So yes. I was like... Hey. Yeah, SETI. Well, the SETI is different from the SETI. The SETI that does like the home... Uh, like the experiments looking for aliens is different than the SETI Institute. Oh, interesting. So that that whole search for extraterrestrial intelligence thing that you can like download the the program for your computer. That's actually separate from the uh, actual SETI Institute. Interesting. It is. We're going off on many tangents yes. today. Yes, we are. We still haven't <laughs> even hit the credits yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to our story. <laughs> Like, did we finish that? Did um, we finish that scene? I don't know. I think so. In case we didn't finish that scene, all they do after that is dial out and head to the next planet. The next scene opens up on Samaria. We see a tall obelisk with some Norse-looking carvings, and the gate is behind that, and there are some locals wandering around and shoving a cart around. The gate dials in, and the locals look a little bit nervous at first and raise their weapons ready to fight, and SG-1 comes bursting through (laughs) and i was wondering why it looks like they were just like taking running leaps through the stargate because i thought momentum was supposed to be conserved so it's a really weird decision to just take a running leap and a tuck and roll at the end if that's how you've just chosen to go through the gate for your initial introduction to a planet because we haven't feeling playful (laughs) we haven't like normally they just walk through the gate and come out normal like walking because again momentum is conserved so why were they like falling through it this time i don't know <laughs> but I, 
liked that Teal'c is the only one who lands on his feet. Yes. <laughs> I was also wondering how the mouth got through because we see Me the gate too. dialing in and there's no mouth when we see the gate dialing in. And then like the next the next scene is all of SG-1 coming through and this, uh, the mouth is suddenly like off to the side as they're yeah. doing their dives through. So how did the mouth suddenly get there before them and how Maybe. long... Like, they took no time to analyze the planet before then just diving through. Maybe they just hurled through. Like, <laughs> they hurled the mouth through, too. Right? Maybe. And it just fell off to the side immediately. At an angle. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just put it through at an angle. <laughs> this was just a really weird scene. It was. <laughs> Made all that more strange by the fact that all the locals just start pointing and laughing at all of SG-1. So, of course, SG-1 is really confused as to why, since this is not how they... Are normally greeted by locals on a new planet and everyone of course looks to daniel to try to approach them and ask what's going on but before he gets the chance to say anything they all start chanting thor's name and this gold t-shaped thing at the top of that obelisk turns on and makes an electronic buzzing noise and scans all of them and ignores all of them, except for Teal'c, who starts screaming in pain and clutches his stomach. And O'Neill tries to, to rescue him by throwing himself at Teal'c bodily to try to get him out of this beam that's shining down from the top of the obelisk. And then suddenly they both disappear. The locals all run away. And we are left with just Daniel and Sam looking around, kind of confused. Yeah. Two credits. Once we uh, come back from those credits, we're still at the gate. Daniel recognizes the obelisk as Thor's hammer or thinks that's what it, what it is. <laughs> and he believes that Teal'c and O'Neill are dead. He sounds really matter of fact with how he says that yeah. too. He's like, oh, I guess they're probably dead. Like, yeah, he doesn't seem as distraught as I would think he should be. Yeah, which might, might explain why Sam was like, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely refuses to entertain that notion. Mm -hmm. So she's ready to like rally the troops and bring more people back to try to find them. Yes. But before they can decide anything, a group of people on horseback approach. There's really just one lady on horseback. Yeah, she arrives first. I think there was a line of them, but she was was way ahead. Yeah. Anyway. So the woman rides up and she greets them saying they look short for gods, which... (laughs) Remind me of Leia going, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? She assumes that because they came through the gate, they must be from Thor's home in the stars. Fruitvang. Fruitvang, is that what it is? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Carter introduces them to the woman, and the woman identifies herself as Garowin. I think so. Yeah. That's what I heard. She basically welcomes them right in, like, "Come, come dine with us, but... Carter's like, we have some deal thing to deal with right here, which is that two of our people have disappeared. And Garowin's like, you mean two Ettins? And they try to explain that they are not, in fact, Ettins, but they're friends. Yes. At that point, Garowin understands that she's not, in fact, talking to gods, but other humans. And they identify themselves as being from Earth slash Midgard, which is a name that she does recognize their ancestral home someone not the gold necessarily someone has taken humans from earth and deposited them on other worlds for reasons yeah makes sense yeah why not 
at this point, we also get a glimpse on the screen credits that James Earl Jones is voicing an Unas in this episode. He is here. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I missed that completely. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow, I don't know how I didn't even recognize his voice, but here we uh, are. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch those scenes. <laughs> I, I am going to call him, like, Darth Unas through the whole thing, so... Uh, <laughs> yes, please do. Yeah. So they, uh, Thor's people on this planet don't know how Thor's hammer works. She also says that Thor is planning to come back and teach them when they're older, which is a, a phrase we've heard before when SG-1 encountered the Nox, who's another mm-hmm. you know well-advanced species that is waiting for people to get wiser before they <laughs> share anything with them. If there's one thing that SG-1, the series, wants us to know, it's that humans are pretty dumb. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Evil will always triumph because good is dumb. She does assure them that Thor would not kill a human, Mm -hmm. even to kill an Etten. So SG-1 wants to know who can help them find their friends. Garwin knows a woman named Kendra who was taken by the hammer, but then was later found wandering in the mountains. So they then surmise that Jack and Teal'c aren't dead and that they were transported somewhere. Right. Yeah. And we find that out in the next scene because we are suddenly inside a cave. O'Neill is waking up, shortly followed by Teal'c. Teal'c rips open his shirt to check on his gross gold. So, of course, the thing comes out to say <laughs> hi and seems to com- be complaining that it has an owie, but it is okay. Uh, it screams a little bit and... Yeah, then goes back in and grows. That's so funny. <laughs> and then suddenly there's a large Viking there to greet them. And I still think that this would have been better if it was Chris Hemsworth version of Thor. There shall be no knifing one another. Everybody knows who's in charge. But I, I mean, know, again, still not. Chris Hemsworth does make things better. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> the. This Thor tells them that the High Council of Asgard has designated Sumeria as a safe place for the development of sentient species, and that the Gwild system lords all know better than to show their faces here. And O'Neill tries to tell him that, well, we're not Gwilds, this guy's just a friendly Jaffa, and I'm his buddy, and Thor doesn't seem to care, and actually just keeps talking as though he doesn't even hear O'Neill speaking to him, and sentences them to death. So at this point, Jack is getting a little suspicious since it seems to not really be reacting to their presence. And he goes up to Thor and waves his weapon through and realizes that this is just a hologram spouting off a pre-recorded message. And it tells them that they're going to live without their technology and without their luxuries and without their slaves. And they will be provided with basic sustenance. But when they're tired of living that lifestyle, then they're to go to the Hall of Mjolnir and face the hammer. So I guess that the obelisk wasn't the, the true hammer, but the true hammer is here in this cave. And Thor's recording says that there's no escape. Only the host can leave this place alive. And then the hologram disappears. So basically, if Teal'c leaves, then whose ghoul world will be destroyed, thus killing Teal'c. Which I was wondering, because if the if the host of a ghoul can survive, then why can't a Jaffa survive clearly the hammer does something to make it okay for the host to survive so why wouldn't it do the same thing for a jaffa but we don't get that answer 
I don't know. Well, I mean, I feel like the Jaffa have basically been bred to be dependent. Mm. So maybe they literally can't live without a ghoul, at least not for a long time. I, I thought know. that... I know, maybe I'm misremembering what happens later, but I thought it was established later that they actually can live without their ghoul being given to them at a, a certain age. But maybe I'm just getting mm. ahead of us and also I'm, misremembering. I, I also may be misremembering many things. <laughs> We'll get there in time. And yes. In any case, it's not addressed this episode. From there, Tilk basically tells O'Neill that he should leave, but O'Neill, of course, refuses to leave him behind and says that they're going to go find that hall of mohair thingy. Whatever it's called. That'd be a, a very hairy place. <laughs> Indeed. Probably very, very <laughs> soft and full of sweaters. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they just take a nap there. Yeah, That'd be great. Uh, so then we're back with Sam and Daniel and Gerwin, who are walking up to a cottage where a woman is outside tending to a young boy, and she pulls out a round, gouldy, flashy object, sparkle blingy thingy, sparkle blingy thingy, points it at the kid's head, and then moves down to his arm. Daniel freaks out <laughs> and is about to like open fire on her. Garwin stops him and they kind of take a moment and watch and it turns out she's actually healing his bones. Mm -hmm. She finishes and he runs off. So the group goes out to meet her and explain that they're here from Midgard and she explains that the boy ran away because of what she used to be. And then she shows a big scar on her back. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Like from her neck down to like her mid mid-back yeah kinda. that's it's a, a pretty that's, big scar yeah she had a gold but it's gone yes and she also says the hammer is underground in the mountain and this brings daniel hope that this person has survived having a gold and no longer has it because that means maybe good things for his wife yes that would be happy indeed yes Back in the cave, Tilk and O'Neill wander around, and of course they're trying to find either the hall of Mjolnir or a way out. And Tilk says that O'Neill shouldn't have tried to rescue him back at the gate, but O'Neill says that Tilk would have done the same thing for him. They find some bones and a soggy dead Guawuld larva, which is gross and still reminds me of hagfish, and I hate hagfish. <laughs> and the bones were clearly pretty decomposed, so I well. I guess they weren't really decomposed, but I was wondering how the Guawuld hadn't decomposed yet, the larva, because these bones seem to have been there for a while. And I would think that the thing should have either been eaten by the thing that they said ate the host, or at the very least should have decomposed, because do they have much in the way of bones? I don't think they do, but this thing was like fully fleshed, and that seemed weird to me. Especially in like this moist, dank cave, it should have broken down pretty quickly. I only noticed the bones. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in any case, they said that there seemed to be tooth marks on the bones. And so they didn't think that the Guawuld or the host had died of natural causes, but they thought that something had actually eaten it instead. And they continue on their way and we pan over and see something in the water, but we don't get a good look at it just yet. Then we're back at Kendra's cottage where the group is at a table sharing a beverage out of some horns. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about Kendra's experience a bit. So is, you know, was it painful to have the gold removed? And she's like, that's nothing compared to the horror I inflicted as a gold. 
She explains the situation to them that it's going to be the case that O'Neill will be able to leave without a problem. So things we already knew, but right. Teal'c is going to lose his goal if he leaves the uh, leaves the mountain. Kendra is wholly unsympathetic to Teal'c's plight because she has a history with a Jaffa as she was once a gold and but then she gets some thunder advice <laughs> from a Valkyrie. <laughs> the best kind of advice. <laughs> and she's going to help them because that is what they want. The gods of here want of her. I am the god of Thunder! Wow. wow, I didn't hear any thunder, but out of your fingers, was that like sp- sparkles? So she's going to take him to the hammer. Do we think that this is actually advice being given to her, or do we think that she's reading into things that aren't necessarily there? We never really get an answer to that, but... No, I mean, my personal inclination to always believe people are reading into things yeah. instead of believing in any kind of supernatural type thing, although these are apparently physical gods perhaps at some point but are they sitting somewhere making thunder happen right (laughs) listening to what everyone is doing yeah i would be interested to know that answer but we don't we don't find that out either yeah back in the cave tilk and o'neill have made it to a large room with columns and carvings so like a probably what is the hall that they were looking for it's not just a random cave passageway O'Neill tells Tilk to try firing his staff at a lantern to see what happens since Thor had previously told them that their weapons wouldn't work. So, of course, when he tries, it does not actually work. But then O'Neill tries to fire his gun at it, and that does work. And (laughs) elsewhere, we get a flash of an unhappy water monster thing, briefly. While they're showing us that, we can still hear Teal'c and O'Neill talking, and Teal'c says that O'Neill's gun is probably just too primitive to really be of any concern to the people that built this hall, so they probably weren't really worried about projectile weapons and whether or not they could function in here. O'Neill hands Teal'c something, which I think was a gun? I think so. Yeah. Teal'c later randomly has a handgun, so I'll assume that this is where that happened. Teal'c figures that... If, uh, as the recording says, the host may leave alive, that this place could benefit Skara and Share, which we established in the, you know, the previous scene, but Tilk's just reiterating that fact here. And then there's a loud splash that startles O'Neill, but Tilk is oddly unconcerned by it and seems to just be brushing it off as nothing. We pan over to where the creepy monster thing had been sitting, somehow unnoticed by the guys, and it is now gone. Uh-oh. Whoops. Yeah. Back with our other friends. Kendra's been waiting for another sign from Thor. Yeah. And... One wasn't enough. No, you need a lot of signs, mm-hmm. especially if you don't want to do something. You get forced <laughs> yes. into it. <laughs> uh, Daniel's still very curious about her experience, so he's asking her what she remembers of her old life. And she goes into a description, basically, of her personal history, where she was a young, beautiful child on... The planet that I didn't write down that she is from. Jobana, I think. Oh, yeah. yes, I think that's right. But she was a young, beautiful child, and that was a curse because the gold want perfect hosts. So, unfortunately, when the gold came, they did take her as a host. But somehow she... Something that they do in their training on her planet, apparently, was trying to like teach them to be strong and resistant to the gold, it seems like. Because mm-hmm. she talks about how she... 
was able to maintain some of her own identity within the Gould's control. But she was able to influence her into going to Samaria, thinking that there could be another like world to conquest, even though it's super forbidden. And she goes. <laughs> yes. And then it doesn't end well for her host when she was there. Yes. yes, she survives the mountain, but the ghoul doesn't. And as Daniel likes to repeat often, something of the host survives. <laughs> and she continues to honor Thor's ways because he rescued her with the hammer. The hammer is my penis. Yes. In the cave, there is water running down a wall. So O'Neill says that they shouldn't have any problem escaping because water can break down walls they just need to wait a couple hundred years for that to happen <laughs> then suddenly we see the shadow of the giant scary monster thing approaching and they look rather horrified as the thing approaches and it tells them that it is unas the first one darth vader <laughs> darth unas i am unas <laughs> i can't believe i didn't recognize his voice here that's amazing. Tilk says you do not exist, and Darth Unas, because I'm taking, uh, I'm stealing your joke. Yeah. Says that Tilk should kill the human, and they will feast together. And Tilk says he no longer serves the Gwauld, but Darth Unas says we shall see, and shoves <laughs> shoves Tilk aside. And O'Neill holds up his gun, and Unas says that weapons are of no use, but is surprised when O'Neill's gun actually does work, and Darth Unas falls back. Tilk says that the first one is dead, and O'Neill says that that is fine by him. And so they leave, but then we see Darth Unas's eyes glow. Did you think they didn't try very hard to, like, make sure he was dead? Like, even when they, like, tried to, like, look like they were trying to check his pulse, I'm like, I think you might need to press a little harder on that thick skin. Yeah, right? And also, is his circulatory system the same? Right. Also, maybe a bullet, like, right in the head just for... Just, better measure yeah yeah make just just make sure double check right then we have a quick montage of kendra leading daniel and sam they're walking 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 over various terrains the end <laughs> it was exciting <laughs> <laughs> so o'neill and jack in the cave are uh, they hear there's some growling going on maybe there are two of them they think Tilk then explains about the Onas, that they were the first hosts of the gold, born of the same primordial water. <laughs> he calls it a myth, uh, similar to vampires on Earth, even though they just encountered one. Right. It's clearly not a myth anymore. He also says there have been other species used as hosts before humans, and he speculates that it's been trapped for like a thousand years. And that the Unas have some sort of hibernation ability that has kept them alive that long. O'Neill asks for confirmation again, kind of that they're dead. Like, do I need to go stake him through the heart? And they kind of have a little back and forth about whether or not he's definitely dead. He's dead, all right. <laughs> I mean, you can't get much deader than me. A dead uh, he is right now. Plus, of course, we killed him again. But Teal concludes he's definitely dead. I believe. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's not it's not it's not a great exchange. He no. doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. He does not. <laughs> but that's where we land. They're they're going with the dead theory. He's dead. Yep. Dis despite any evidence to the contrary. Right. He's dead. 
He has great regenerative qualities, but he's probably dead. Likely dead. Yeah. Gotta be dead, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Out in the woods, Daniel asks Kendra if they're lost, and Kendra tries to explain that it was a long time ago, and it was winter, and everything looked different and covered in snow. And Daniel asks what exactly it would feel like to have her gold destroyed. Kendra says that it was extremely painful, like needles stabbing you in the head, and that it was a battle of wills, and that many give up, apparently. I don't know how she would know that, but anyway. Daniel says that Shari wasn't trained in a temple the way that she was, but that Shari is a fighter, so he knows that she will be fine if they can get her back there. And he said that he still dreams about her like she's trying to reach out, so he knows that she must actually be trying to reach out to his mind. Somehow. Very scientific, Daniel. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Kendra believes that they must still be connected and that there has to be hope for her if she is reaching out to him in his dreams like that. And then, even though Kendra had been confused a few moments earlier, she's suddenly reassured that they are, in fact, going the right way, and they set off again. All right. Yes, is busy pulling bullets out of his glowy insides. <laughs> he does have very glowy insides. And he's very yelly about it, too. Yes. I probably would as well if I were pulling bullets out of my flesh. It's likely not pleasant. No. And this finally convinces uh, Jack and Teal'c that he's uh, not as dead as they would have hoped. <laughs> he's still alive! Well, he's not as dead as we would have hoped. <laughs> That's when O'Neill says, I guess he's not a myth. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, they're only just now figuring out. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Teal'c is really clinging to this, like, maybe he has some sort of, like, uh, lingering, like, Jafar special kind of feels. And this Unas <laughs> thing is really messing with that identity he has. Maybe. Kendra, Daniel, and Sam are wandering up this waterway kind of thing a, a, a man-made waterway thing that apparently was built by thor for the people of the town ages ago to supply them with fresh water sam and daniel start arguing a little bit and hanging back as kendra continues on and sam is convinced that kendra is lost but doesn't want to admit it and daniel is extremely angry at sam for asserting such a thing she thinks that kendra thinks that she wants to help but on a subconscious level doesn't really want to and so isn't ever going to actually get them to this cave. And Daniel tries to argue that she is going to help and go back and forth a bit until Kendra realizes how far they've fallen behind and calls to them and they both stop arguing and hurry up to catch up with her. I think it's interesting because I feel like they both end up kind of, you know, being right about things. Yeah. And, but Daniel is definitely sounds like super desperate and like he does. clinging at like, you know, this hope that his wife can be saved. And I don't know, Sam, Sam seemed pretty like in this episode. That's not a word. Um, that's not probably that's not even what I mean. She's she's extremely skeptical of everything Daniel asserts, I feel like, in this episode. But she's not wrong. So so it's fine. Yeah, Daniel is being really weird, and it annoys me a little bit in this episode how unscientific he was being when he was supposed to be, like, super scientist guy in most episodes. And granted, he's an anthropologist and not, like, you know, like a physicist like Sam, but that's still a branch of science, and I feel like he's being really unscientific, and it's just 
uncharacteristic for him. Yeah, I think he has a huge Shari blind spot because I yes. think it's come up in other episodes too. Yeah. Where he's willing to do things or not do things based, you know, that he otherwise wouldn't do if it involved his wife or I yeah that's a very weird yeah he has different <laughs> standards if he thinks he can get Shari back <laughs> yeah he does for, seem to yeah. definitely have that back in the cave Jack and Teal'c are wandering about again and then Unas Vader is upon them <laughs> and he tells them your no weapons, weapons cannot kill me they open fire on him again and yeah. flee and the Unas just keeps going and going and going. Like the Energizer, the Energizer Bunny. Bunny. Yes. <laughs> Kendra found the entrance. There's a Thor's hammer symbol above the entrance to the cave. She is remembering some stuff. She remembers a labyrinth. She remembers Thor speaking to her. And she remembers there being something alive in there. And she seems pretty hesitant to, to do anything beyond that. But then there's more thunder advice from above. <laughs> I love that thunder advice. Yeah. Uh, and Thor wants her to go with them into wish, the caves. I wish thunder would give me advice. I know. That would be pretty great. Yeah. At, at like exactly the right time. Right. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Deeper in the cave, O'Neill and Tilk are in a temple of some sort. And find a door that seems to lead to an exit. So they try to go out. But Tilk is caught in a force field and starts screaming in pain. So O'Neill dives for him and knocks him back and knocks him free of that force field. We hear the Unas, Darth Unas, growling behind them. And Tilk says, if I have to die, it will be as a warrior facing my enemy. And O'Neill mentions that they are down to their last magazine. So they both prepare their stand. Yeah. Out at the cave entrance, Sam and Daniel are trying to convince Kendra that she should just stay behind if she's not comfortable coming in. But she says that in the temple that she was raised in, she was taught that fear is her enemy, and so she has to face her fear. Further in, O'Neill and Tilk are commiserating that they think they have the same plan without actually verbalizing what that plan is, which might have been a good idea. (laughs) But Darth Unas asks why O'Neill doesn't leave and asks Tilk why he allies himself with a slave. He mentions that once all the gold were Unas, feeding upon the weak and making themselves strong, and he will take pleasure in killing them both. And he attacks. And Tilk and Darth Unas fight. And O'Neill is just kind of hanging around. He was knocked to the side, but he seems, instead of getting back up on his feet and joining back into the fray, to just be kind of taking his time getting back up. And I thought that was weird. And then... When he finally does get back up, he and Tilk both fire on the the Unas and knock it back into the force field, the same force field that had kind of electrocuted Tilk a little while ago. Woo! Daniel, Sam, and Kendra can hear the commotion, the gunfire, but they can't get in. But Kendra remembers she learned this one neat trick from Thor's people. <laughs> like the <laughs> ones that you can read about on the internet that will kill belly fat, which isn't a thing? Exactly. <laughs> So she puts her hand in a handprint outside the cave entrance, and she says a little chant or spell, and then the door opens for them. This was also super convenient. It was very convenient. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, convenience happening. Yes, quite. Back at that cave gateway exit Thor's hammer thing. Unas recovers, and Tilk and O'Neill try to shove him through. Again, O'Neill is just kind of hanging back and watching, so I don't really know why he's 
doing that <laughs> and letting Tilk be the one to try to fight the Unas. I guess Tilk is stronger than he is, though, so I guess yeah. that makes a little bit of sense. But you would think he would want to help because Tilk is putting himself into this force field to try to fight Darth Unas and yeah. is in a lot of agony himself. So I would think that that would probably weaken him a little bit. Anyway, Kendra, Daniel, and Sam come in because this was a surprisingly short labyrinth once Kendra <laughs> did her little trick. And finally, when the Unas seems debilitated, Jack pulls Tilk from the force field. So he's finally acting to Woo! help Tilk. Darth, Darth Unas continues to scream in pain and then collapses. And Tilk says that without his Gwauld, Unas will most definitely die. I hope they check before they leave. <laughs> this Hopefully time. so, but I don't think they do, actually. <laughs> but Kendra says she can see why they call Tilk friend, since he had just risked his life to help save them. And then Daniel and Sam explain that Kendra had been a Gwauld herself and had been rescued by this gateway thing. And Daniel's like, this is great. We can go rescue Shari now. But then O'Neill's like, no, because Tilk is here now and we need to get him out of here. And Tilk says that he'll just stay there and that they should all go rescue Skara and Shari. At this point, O'Neill picks up Tilk's staff weapon and hands it to Daniel and is like, no, you're going to go destroy that thing from the outside so that we can get Tilk out of here. Which seemed really mean to me to make Daniel be the yeah to make Daniel be the one to destroy the one hope for his wife. I actually have a lot of issues with this scene, so I'm going to go off on all of them for another tangent. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So, also, you would think that Sam, as a scientist, would have issues with them just destroying this thing before taking any time to study it, because like Tilk would be fine. Yeah, there's no let him hang out there for a while. It's not like he's going to die. Uh, imminently if we don't destroy the thing he'd be okay so like why not take a little time to study it also why not ask the locals are you cool with us destroying this thing that's protecting (laughs) you for millennia oh yeah also why not try to go find Skara and Share while leaving Tilk here and like keeping him company and bringing him snacks and happy things to entertain him and then (laughs) bring Share and Skara back here and then destroy it to let Tilk out these were all questions I had but but that's not what happens. Daniel so goes outside. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel goes outside, fires on the doorway, and destroys the mechanism. Sounds like you had a pretty special and intimate relationship with this hammer, and that losing it was almost comparable to losing a loved one. And Tilk is able to now leave unharmed. And yeah. Daniel tries to console himself by saying, well, at least we know it can be done. We can we can save people from their Gwauld overlords. Yeah. I uh, the other thing too with that with making Daniel do it. I was like yeah. one that's super mean, but two that sort of makes him that forces him to be a part of it yeah. in a way that then he can't be like, "Ooh, you destroyed this thing." He's like, "No, we all destroyed this thing. We're in this right. together." Yeah, so I can under- I mean, I guess I can understand Jack's logic in wanting it to be that so that they can't blame him for it since he was technically the one that did it, but I still thought it was really messed up. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And then finally, we have our little goodbye scene. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> finally, we have our uh, goodbye scene at the Stargate. They do express some concern briefly over Severian <laughs> safety now that they've destroyed their protection. Whoops. After the fact. <laughs> Just- 
but they you know they're they're all like oh it's okay the ghoul don't know the hammer doesn't work so it's totally cool we can rely on their continued fear based on their history that they and they don't know what's going on here sure kendra appreciates that she was able to face her fear and thanks them she then gives them a little keepsake rock and says she they should come back and visit then daniel hands them the box that they had brought to give to this superior alien race and asks them to pass it along to thor if he ever (laughs) shows up and then there's some thunder thor is very happy he's very (laughs) excited about his gift he can't wait and that they will hopefully meet him in person one day and that's about it that is it. Yeah. And they dial home. <laughs> they go home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just... Everything's fine. I'm sure there'll be yeah. no problems. Absolutely not. What could possibly go wrong <laughs> with how they left things? Yeah. Not a thing. And they leave that open, so perhaps one day we will find out if the gold ever come back. Yep. Or if Thor ever comes back. There is a Thor. Or both. Yeah. Right. We don't know that yet. We know nothing. So, how'd you feel about this episode? Yeah, I liked this episode a lot. I thought it was very entertaining, despite the uh, various issues that I had with it that I've already said. They were issues that I was able to look past and uh, enjoy the episode. Yeah, I liked the characters. I thought it was a pretty good storyline overall, even with the issue of them totally ignoring their argument before that they need to look out for the good of you know a couple episodes back when they were talking about whether or not they needed to rescue sam or risk starting a war or you know they're like well the good of the many is outweighs the good of the one but then here they're like the exact opposite of that the good of tilk outweighs the good of this entire race a whole planet of people (laughs) yeah but if you can ignore that it was a good episode yeah um, I also enjoyed it uh, for, I think, many of the same reasons. Uh, I I really enjoyed uh, Darth Unas. <laughs> yes. Yes, so I also liked it. That's it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm good. What are we listening to or watching next? <laughs> Rather. What are we listening to and watching? I guess we're not just watching it. We are also listening to it. That is true. Uh, I mean, I'm going to start listening to them on mute. Yeah. Just for fun. That seems like a good idea. Okay. We are watching season one, episode 11, The Torment of Tantalus. Hmm. And in that one, according to my booklet... Jackson discovers that in 1945, a young professor slipped through the Stargate never to return. Together with his still-living fiancé, the SG-1 team discovers the now-aged professor trapped in a decaying fortress. Will they be able to rescue him and escape in time? I think I vaguely remember this one. Oh, yeah, I think I remember this one as well. Yes, I don't remember whether I liked it or not, but it sounds familiar. I think it's a myth-heavy episode, myth. uh, like mm. a Stargate myth-heavy yeah. heavy episode. Like, yeah, it's important to the show. Yeah, I think. I think it builds kind of off of some of the stuff that they set up a little bit today, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, yeah, that'll be happening. It will. 
All right, so we'll be back in a couple weeks. Make sure that you subscribe to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on if you haven't already done so. And we always appreciate any reviews and ratings, especially the five-star variety. Um, you can find us on YouTube as well. We are newly on there. Or, well, less newly by the time this comes out, but <laughs> newly to us here where we are now. You can contact us at stargatesing at gmail.com. That's S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Stargatesing. You can also like our page or join our group on Facebook. And you can, of course, find us on patreon.com slash stargatesing if you're feeling generous and want to help us to continue doing this thing. And um, our website is at stargatesing.space. Yeah. That is the best website in the world, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It's a great website with a great domain, and I love it. Yes. You have been listening to Stargatesing. I am Mary. I am Kathy. The end. The end. <laughs>